Welcome to the campaign newscast. Uh, this week we have Nils Leonard, founder of Uncommon, Chris Hurst, the head of Europe for Havas, and my campaign colleague, Brittany, um, who is the creative editor of campaign, and I'm Claire Beale, um, and we are going to talk about the news and just other things that are happening this week. Um, I have to say, once again, the news is dominated by WPP and Martin Sorrell. So I feel like that's a good place to kick off because both Nils and Chris used to work for Martin Sorrell and they've both gone on to do things that perhaps lead the way forward from where the, the old holding company model that, that characterized Sorrell's reign in, in our business, um, moving on from that. Um, Welcome, everybody. Let's plow straight in with WPP then. Because on Monday, they had their first quarter results. Um, and Mark Reed, as the new joint COO, stood up and um, said there was a, a degree of stability. The, the results were actually flat, which in WPP terms recently is not bad. And the share price rose um, in response to that. What he also said, which is interesting, which is why I think you two are quite in, uh, good commentators on, on this, is he talked about how the, the horizontality that WPPs pursued um, over recent years, how perhaps that needed adapting in the current, um, in the current world. And he, he made this comment, it was really telling, I think, which was um, perhaps horizontality was too much about bringing ourselves together and not about what's right, the right solution for the client. Um, now, Chris, you have us have been responsible for sort of bringing the sort of the village model mm -hmm. to London, and a lot of the old silos that characterise have us um, hold, holdings yeah. in the UK have have come under one roof, literally, um, and also in terms of sort of management structure, there's a lot of those silos have broken down. Did what Mark Reed said say on Monday? Did that resonate with you? Um, I suppose, well, the, his, you mean specifically his observation about maybe horizontality wasn't quite the right answer, if I'm paraphrasing. I mean, that seems to be what he said, isn't it? Or at least he needs evolving. It needs evolving. And, um, it, and actually, you can get too distracted by... By yourself. By yourself I, and not by serving... See, that I, that I think huh. is really, really true. I mean, um, uh, I got asked this... Sorry. I got asked this question the other day, actually. And, and my... I think agencies have lost themselves and still are, frankly, because everybody's busy obsessing about models. And I think models are important, but 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 if uh, I I feel that ultimately agencies, and I'm sure that Nils is going to vociferously agree with this, agencies ultimately are about people. I mean, that's what they're about. Clients buy into people. Um, they buy into culture and they buy into talent. Um, and I think it's not that models aren't important, but the but the idea that models are the answer they're not um the the i think agencies need whether they're small agencies or big agencies they need to learn to build themselves around the needs of their clients um and i think sometimes it i think sometimes talk of models can weirdly i think get in the way of that because it just obscures some of the basic truths i mean if you're not if you don't have at the end of the day if you don't have people that are going and sitting by the client's side and helping them navigate the increasingly complicated world you've got out there, then you're not serving the client's needs. So, yeah, that, that's what I guess that's what all agencies should be trying to do. And of course, we're trying to do it now in 
Nils in his. So Nils, your uncommon is a is a in this world of complexity and horizontality and uh, what is the model? Beautifully simple proposition. Um, you're not. I don't think you have ambitions to build a multi-dimensional, multi-siloed empire. Um, does it? Uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. The master of the universe. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, all of this is a distraction, isn't it, from what yeah. clients really want, which is. Well, I'll go one step further. I mean, Chris actually, you forgot something Chris used to say, which I thought was hilarious, which is agencies love wanging on about themselves. And Chris used to say agencies talking about themselves is like, you know, when someone shows you a picture of their kids and you just don't give a shit. And <laughs> you have like, to pretend. Yeah, oh, God, that's lovely. And you're thinking, what the fuck has this got to do with why I'm in the room? And you kind of, um, I think they love talking about themselves. I think that it is about people. I'll get one step further and just kind of ask, why is a creative company you exist at all? What gets you out of bed every morning? What do you care most about, right? And the thing I've seen recently with Uncommon is, we just align with our clients or with talent around values. This is what matters most to us. We think about these things every day and we care about them. And ultimately, I think that's where people really come together to make their best work. And so I think people color coding their agency. No one wakes up in the morning and says, God, I wish there were eight different ways to refer to production. I don't, they just don't do that. Um, and I don't think there's enough time spent around passion and around genuine motivational energy of, of a team. Um, which I know that Chris knows, you know, and, uh, from our time at Grey as well. So, I think, I, 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 genuinely, I, I do think that's true, and I think that is a that is a scalable idea. That idea that you can, you know, you can use different words around it, right? Culture, passion, values. I mean, I know they don't all literally mean the same thing, but I mean that's with the risk of become over semantic. But I think the idea that you you can you can and should be creating teams for clients whether those teams are three people or whether those teams are multinational uh, teams that have a degree of shared culture and understanding. Uh, and that has to be, that ha you have to have your own, but that has to be connected to the things that client wants and needs from you. Um, and that's why I do think that, that, uh, that agencies that get lost in, in, in over-defining their way of doing it, particularly once you get, I think, to a certain size, I think you miss, you miss it, you, you get it wrong, because ultimately, we are here to build ourselves around our clients, and it's getting that balance between your own set of values, and at the same time, delivering what that client needs, and and and, and all sorts of clients want different things, not, not just because they sometimes want to buy media, they sometimes want to buy creative, but even within media agencies, or creative agencies, or design agencies, different clients, in reality, want different different things from their agencies. So, if you were if you were sitting opposite Mark Reed now, give, given your experience of of simplifying um, the Havas structure mm. and, and driving better, more effective collaboration, mm. is there a piece of advice that you would give him? Obviously, the scale is very different, but uh, I, the only, I mean, the, the only thing I would say right now is. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep 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 it simple. And by that, what I mean is, simplify the things you're asking your people to do. Um, I think I think it's very easy. You know, we've all got so much complexity in our lives, not just at work, out of work. I think a big part of leadership, irrespective of scale, is about simplifying and making sure that you are only asking people to do a relatively small number of things or focus on a relatively small number of things. I've got some advice for him. Go on then. Well, 
I think that if you to look at WPP as a whole, I have a massive respect for it. I've always said that. There's a bit of their game they've never got right, which is around talent. They've never understood that relationship. They've never marketed to it. They've never changed themselves around it. They've put other things first. And I think it's the bit of their game that's now missing when talent has never been more important. But for, for those who don't know, you two obviously work together at Grey and turn, turn the agency, I would say around, you might just say, you know, pushed it up many notches. Um, but you were responsible for a, a, a brilliant, dazzling period at that agency in the UK. Did you not feel that you were um, exalted and, and cherished and celebrated within within the wider group structure as being important people that were catalysts for change? I, I think we were valuable to WPP. I'm not saying that talent isn't valuable to them. I'm saying that on their own, they don't make the right decisions every day to market best to talent. And the culture that Chris and I created at Grey, I would argue, put that first. And it, we changed, mm. fundamentally changed the totems of an agency, the systems of an agency, and the output to represent that. What do the best and most creative people in the world want to make every day? Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I think, to, to, be fair to, to be fair to WPP, they... they they left, left left us alone to get on with it, broadly speaking. Yeah. Um, now, that's partly, I think, out of necessity because they've got so many businesses, right? I mean, they, they can't they can't micromanage, and then nor do they attempt to uh, micromanage all of those businesses. So they did allow us they did allow us to get on with it. Um, I think I, I suppose to build on Nils's point, the question is how do you create if you're W if you're, with the scale of WPP, how do you create that sense of uh, community, that sense of uh, self that we had at Grey in multiple places at the same time. And I think that is a challenge for network, for all big network businesses, which is getting the balance between this is who we are, whether that be WPP or Grey or Havas, and allowing individual leadership teams to build their own sense of self, their own sense of culture. Because our culture was very much grey London's culture wasn't it rather than fitting into anything yeah. anybody else would it be great yeah, and, I, and, I, and I think there's a difference between um, leaving people alone and defining a, a culture mm. there's a difference yeah. I don't know if you've seen yes. the news down at Ogilvy this week but they have been um, through a process of breaking down all their um, Ogilvy group silos and creating a new management structure headed by um, a guy called Michael Froelich who was the head of PR there so they have got rid of um, the advertising agency CEO. Um, so the the guy that was doing that, Charlie Rudd, is now, um, I think he's head of, is he head of client service? Chief client officer. Chief client officer. Chief client officer. Chief client officer. That's, sorry, Brittany, we have to bring you into this discussion. <laughs> but um, uh, what's, what's your take on that, Brittany? That, that sort of um, erosion of, of those individual cultures within Ogilvy and just creating one one unit mm, i think it's really difficult to pull off successfully to bring cultures that are different under one umbrella and what's interesting about this restructure is they cut a lot of senior roles but they have three creative leaders and i'm going to be very interested to see if that works three different personalities three different egos coming together to create one vision i don't know if that Will work. It's, re- it's really interesting, isn't yeah. it? They've they've been very ruthless with the management across the board, apart from in the creative department, where they seem to have tried to keep everybody mm. happy. 
Um, Nils, in your experience, do, uh, should, should there only be one creative leader or can you have many creative leaders all uh, at an equal level or taking um, joint responsibility for a department? Yeah, you can. I think I think need um I'm a massive believer in kind of open collaboration and actually that the creative ego can be the worst and can seek domination and it can seek to own and rule. And I think I've always believed that really? yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think um I've always believed it that you can you know, I think at Grey you just referring back to that as a five hundred person agency at one point I definitely think we had three E C D level creatives there in, in the leadership team that were all playing nicely, I suppose. But the culture was super defined. Yeah, but right? it had you at the, the top. Rules. Yeah, you had I would argue, it, you could argue it had me at the top, but I would also argue that we were doing loads of stuff at that point and the culture was so clearly defined that people knew what would be wrong to do. Like, I don't think any of those guys could have just got up one day and gone, right, and started behaving out of turn. But you, I mean, you know, I've always believed that culture is bigger than any one person or, or attempted to believe that. Um, I, I'm actually not sure the culture is big. I mean, not yeah. bigger than any one person. I'm, or... or I think culture isn't bigger than the individual leaders, if that makes sense. And I think, I mean, you know, my, you know, you've already quoted one of my favorite phrases. My other favorite phrases <laughs> is culture is the behavior of management. Um, and I think, I think what you described in the creative department is true. But the bit that I think is different is if you or or, or a, a leader yeah, but, isn't there. Yeah. I think that's the difficult yeah, that's the challenge where saying. they haven't got that role have they so they've got three people no no but I, I guess what i'm saying without knowing too much about it is i'm hoping yeah. that someone there is leading it right i, do, I, do, I guess what mm. i'm saying is it doesn't necessarily have to be a creative leader. Yeah, right. the point is someone is setting the culture yeah, yeah. right someone is defining the company i do yeah. think that needs to happen but i i don't know I'm honestly yeah. I, I don't know i just go back to other stuff i'm in a, such a different place yeah i think we have to we have to wait and see don't we uh, yeah is my view on ogilvy um i know they've got more changes planned before we sort of move on from all things wpp Chris and Nils, you um, you both work for Martin Soul. I'm just keen to get while we're here. I don't know if you want to share with us your dream, Nils. He was telling me earlier about a dream he had about Martin Soul. I think share it with oh, wow. us because that might, that might give us some I think you should do it as a cartoon. <laughs> insights. I don't know. I was, yeah, I had a... <laughs> On the spot. I had a dream, yeah, about Mar Sir Martin. Well, it was weird. I, he was just sat uh, at the bottom of my bed reading me Japanese death poetry and I don't know what to make of that. Chris uh, thinks there's a paternal... <laughs> There's definitely, that. Of, there's definitely a bit of parent child in that. <laughs> but that, I, that. And that's only the surface. Yeah, right. Uh, no, but look, you know, what, what, do you, what was the question other than tell <laughs> everyone about the weird dream you had? <laughs> well, how, how do you, having worked for the man, how do you think history should record his legacy? Oh, look, I, um, God, you know, it's really mixed. I think he's done incredible things. I think the time for change was absolutely there. You know, I described to somebody else, actually, the very definition of the word mastery is having a bunch of people play to rules that you don't. And I think that when I read he didn't have a non-compete and wasn't held down by the contracts, obviously, that he's infamous for, I smiled, man. I mean, that's kind of whatever you want to say uh, about it, it's kind of badass. And I think that he is a bit badass, and I think he's done some stuff in that world. Do I think, however, that that company has been led ferociously the right way for the last few years? I don't know. Like I said, there's question marks around how talent must feel. You know, um, but you can't deny the, the impact he's had. Do you agree with that, Chris? I do agree with that. Yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think you can de deny the impact he's had. I think you can have... I think in what makes him an interesting character is that he's a polarizing character. Um, and I think people can... You can almost argue any point with Martin and then argue the opposite, you know. 
but but I think I think in terms of the, the, the uh, in my mind certainly the undeniable positive that Martin has, has brought to the UK is he was a global figurehead for the UK business and London continue with the UK London specifically continues to be one of if not the world's preeminent location for uh, advertising services in the broadest sense and I think Martin was both a reflection of that but I think also a a very visible physical manifestation of that globally and I think that we will miss that I also think he's just got energy right like love or hate him whatever you know I think he crackled in a room I think he brought something to the party I think it was undeniable that he did that and I think there aren't enough genuine leaders in our business who have that and I think whether you agree with his impetus and his direction he had it um and I, 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 you know, so that's something. Yeah, Brittany, you've you've been over in the UK for more three years, three years now, um, and you were writing about Marcoms in the states. I know that looking at the the um, online viewing figures for Campaign US over the Soul story, they haven't had nearly as much appetite mm. for all the the Soul analysis that we've we've seen with our UK traffic, which has been phenomenal. Yeah, so, that's interesting. And looking at the results uh, that were out on Monday, the US is uh, is doing less less well for WPP than other territories. Do you do you think he had such an impact in the eyes of the American market? I think he definitely had a bigger person a, a bigger image, I guess, over here because I didn't uh, I didn't hear so much about him among agencies um he had a reputation of being a really tough leader so when he would come into town there were agencies that kind of buckled up and had to prep and be on their best behavior but i think i think his his ripple effect definitely spread to the u.s but he has more of a presence here yeah fair enough now the other big story this week obviously um was uh, the, the sainsbury's asda um proposed merger um Chris, did you ever work on Asda when you were at Fallon? No. 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 So you know? I uh, missed it. And have, it, have either of you worked on big retail? I left Fallon just before they became really good. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any connection there? <laughs> yeah. Um, have either of you worked on big retail? I worked on Sainsbury's at Abbott Mead when I was there. Huh? A few bits every okay. now and then. I can't, can't quite think. Yeah. Obviously, in, it takes a certain sort of agency to, to handle that type of business. But um, just in terms of the, the two retail brands mm. coming together... Um, what's the the marketing perspective on that? Should they, from a, a brand retention point of view, does it make sense to keep two separate brands? If you were, if you were running, actually, before we get into that, Mike Coop, did you see that viral video of him singing? Um, yeah. We're in the money. Oh yeah, I did. Oh my goodness! Yeah. No, what uh, was he that? was prepa- <laughs> he was preparing to yeah. be filmed, and the camera was on him and rolling, <laughs> and he was singing to himself, "We're in the money." Chris, you, I can't oh, believe you haven't seen this. No, anyway, seen yeah, um, if you, that if you Chris are, Chris at the steps of Havas as he came here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what should the marketing industry be, be taking out of this story? Uh, well, I think, I think for starters, I think it's far from as I understand it. There's a whole load of regulatory stuff about whether or not they will be. I mean, I don't fully understand merger and acquisition law, but I think there's some issues around what, what they'll be allowed to do for starters, isn't there, with regard to the two brands at the moment? As I understand it, 
they are saying that they're going to keep two brands, aren't they? But I'm not sure whether that's out of expediency because they think that's going to make it easier for, for them to get go ahead to do it or whether that's because they think that's the right thing to do. Let's pretend, I suppose, for the sake of argument that they do have an option and they can choose to keep separate and yeah. they can keep the same. Um, uh, I, I, to be honest, I, I if... If it was me right now, I would say at the moment I wouldn't attempt to merge the two, the two brands into one. I mean, they are both such enormous businesses, also that are quite geographically different, aren't they? One is more northern, one is more well, southern. Complementary. So they complement well. They're complementary geographically, but they're not. That's but but then that throws up another problem, which it seems to me they're not complementary at all in terms of the type of brands that they are, um, and. I, you know, I guess, uh, therefore, I, I, I would feel like if I was a CEO, CEO or the CMO, I wouldn't, even if I had the option, I wouldn't rush into a decision about merging all the brands. Because I think there's such a temptation in, in any situation like that. Uh, and I see it often here in, on a smaller scale where there's a temptation to make things look neat on organograms. Um, uh, because that's how it's all supposed to be, isn't it? But actually, the day-to-day reality of that is not necessarily helpful. No, but two two brands means doing doing everything twice, which mm-hmm. might not be the yeah. most efficient route. Um, Mills, have you spent much time thinking about about this story this week? I don't think they're going to be two brands for long. Um, I just don't think things ever work out that way. I think you come together, and you, you whether you want to or not, you're headed to a destination that makes it more simple and more powerful. I love create one new brand. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Comple- think, a completely new. Yeah, brand. Yeah, I do. I would. I would, and I would completely pivot. I think if you just look at the behaviour of brands these days, and first of all, by the way, I love that we are still privy to these conversations. Right, I love seeing that kind of photo. And I think it was your mag, and, and you know the guys at Abbott Mead and whatever. You know, marketing and storytelling are at the heart of these business <coughs> decisions, and I still am thrilled by that. Mm. But um, the one thing I think is really interesting is everyone is trying to now look at the world in a different way, and they're asking themselves how they pivot and react to it. And I think too many people are afraid of change. And what you're seeing is a load of big brands, I think, start to spin plates either by mergers that they're offering or even by just, you know what, we're going to just invest in growing or starting brands or buy tiny ones. And I think you're just going to see a load of that hot fuss. And so I kind of go, I just look at it and went, fair enough. And I don't think there's too much to be afraid of if you're them. I think they're all threatened to some degree. So I, I personally feel like it's a brilliant time to be standing alongside those two brands as they do it, whoever gets the chance to do it. Um, you know, and I... I Kind of, I feel like they're going to head to somewhere new. Brittany, this this was preceded by um, a big story in our world, which was the Asda Creative Account leaving Saatchi and Saatchi mm-hmm. and going to Abbott Mead Vickers, who obviously used to do the Sainsbury's account. So there's a there's a kind of interesting um, circularity to that. Um, there's a few aspects to this, aren't there? Because when Saatchi's won that account, um, it was positioned as being. Um, a triumph for publishers groups, um, power of one, because they had the media was handled by Blue 449, Creative went to Sarches, they moved the, the, the media and the creative under one roof, essentially, um, and now they've, in, uh, two years later, ripped that apart mm. and taken the creative out. Is that a reflection of the, the work that Sarches did for Asda? Was it just not up to scratch? Personally, I didn't love the work they did for Asda. It, it just felt kind of vanilla like it blurred into other advertising from the sector um they did they started off with some ads starring james is it james martin the tv chef yeah and then they didn't really seem to stick with him and they tried some other stuff there was one 
uh, Christmas ad last year, which was, I thought, better than what they had been working on. It was kind of like a Willy Wonka-esque factory. It was and nice, Yeah, it was, a good, it was a good Christmas ad. But otherwise, I, I can't even remember most of what they made. So I don't, I, you can't, in such a competitive sector, you have to stand out. Anyone else got any yep. take on the... the uh, yeah, well, I don't want to dig anyone out. I just think the opportunity has not been realized. So, you know, there's points in our time when we look back at other categories. I would say the EasyJet was one of them, right? Uh, and that reinvention of what happened when that sort of stepped up. And I think it's everything from the body language to the look to the feel to the energy of the brand could have changed. And I think that's not happened really uh, uh, in mm-hmm. any sense. And I think that's what I mean by the opportunity in front of us. So creatively, I just think that's all there, which is why do none of the, the, the big supermarkets just suddenly exude this sort of sense of energy and modernity and for the way we live now? And I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think, by the way, as well, I think there is massive sense of everyone just slots into trying to beat uh, John Lewis's Christmas ad. And that is like a model you should just inherently <laughs> ignore if you're going to enter that space. I think, yeah. You know, someone needs to mess with those rules. Surely, Christ, we're like eight years into that now, isn't it? Mm. So. Two, two pictures that we've lost in the past, mate, Asda and EasyJet. In a word. Happy days. I think the, the only thing I'd, I'd say is I'm not sure whether... So, so leaving aside the debate about the creative, I think the, the moving of the business, I'm, I'm not sure you can draw many conclusions around the, the, the model on the basis of it because I think one, I mean, it's such a, just a fact of life in our business that business moves around. I don't think you can, on one uh, client moving, I don't think you can draw too many conclusions. Um, but I would say, I, I, I would say, and I think I wrote this uh, for you guys earlier this week, I would say, a, a little big up to AMV because I think what you can say about agencies, I think, is all, all of us have been agencies that have had that have had tough times and have lost clients, and I think you judge agencies on how they come back from that, and I think uh, it must feel good at AMV. Yeah, they've had a tough time. I they're think, certainly well placed. Yeah, yeah, Depend- and they've got the experience and the expertise. Yeah. To do so. I like seeing Scylla in that photo. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I mean, that's like, yeah, I think you know what that means. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, while we're on the subject of creativity. Um, I think I've got this right, Nils. Um, As far as I understand it, the the (laughs) shortest ever time frame between launching an agency and winning a DMAD pencil, is that right? I don't know. Someone tweeted it and I was over the moon. I'll take it. I'll definitely take it. I mean, yeah, we're over the moon, man. I mean, it's like. So tell us what you won it for. uh, For the Ovo spot. So our first bit of work. So. yeah, I was just over the moon. I mean, for, first of all, I was over the moon to get some work out. <laughs> um, you know, but it was it was very much our sort of thing. And, and then to pick up a pencil was just like a dream, you know, for us. Obviously, DNAD, I'm really close to. So um, it was just great. And, and, you know, it just feels really, really good. And you need these things when you start. You know, and there's a sense of momentum that's starting to, just we're starting to feel. I mean, whether anyone else is or not, it kind of doesn't yeah. matter. But Oh, as well, congratulations. That was brilliant. Um, now, Brittany, you spent a lot of time down at DNAD last week. I'd just really like to get your take on um, the they've they've announced a festival um, next year that they're mm. doing in joint venture with the Guardian, which is going to be a much broader interpretation of um, creativity and culture. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But but the festival as it as it was this year and the awards. Uh, was it a great reflection of a brilliant time in um, our sort of creative trajectory or was it what did you feel do you feel uplifted a bit disappointed yeah I love DNAD I spent all three days at the festival last week and I find that a lot of times in Adland people are very cynical and being there for three days I actually felt very 
hopeful and optimistic and really inspired every day that I was there. So I thought it was great, like people who aren't taking advantage of that are really missing out on meeting new people, hearing new ideas. And so I think it was really, really worthwhile. Um, the awards were interesting because they gave out, so the most coveted pencil is the black pencil. They gave out three this year as opposed to five mm-hmm. last year. Um, and afterwards, I heard some people kind of grumbling about, oh, that shouldn't have won a black. Or So the three winners were um, Fearless Girl, which no one was surprised by, and then the Tide Super Bowl ad, which is very funny. <laughs> um, and then the third one, a lot of people hadn't heard of, but it was the Palau Legacy Project um, host Havas created it in Australia. And it, so it's like a conservation pledge in people's passports to protect the island. And so some people were taken aback by that. They didn't know why that won. Um, I think that's just a UK audience being very focused on what was happening here. But I think some people were questioning whether is it still a predictor for CAN? I think I think it is, but I think being cynical about who's winning awards is kind of missing the point of the whole event. Yeah. It was interesting on Thursday night at the actual awards. It mm-hmm. was it felt like half the room weren't really paying much attention. And uh, a few people said to me, you know, people have put their heart and soul into to this work and to win really, really means something. Yeah. And when you go to the, the awards night and, you know, not, not enough people are really there to celebrate. They're there for a drink and a chat. Mm. Um, and I guess that's part of the, the problem with the format in that you, there is a lot of opportunity for standing at the back and talking and drinking. Um, but I'm interested, Chris, had you the Have Us Black Pencil winner winning campaign? Was that on your radar or? I, kn- I knew the campaign, yes. Yeah. I knew has, the campaign. Been, has it been sort of sent around the Have Us Network as a brilliant example of creativity? Yes, it has. I mean, I'm really not going to get into what deserves and doesn't deserve awards, yeah. but it's a, it is genuinely a great idea. Uh, and it's a, I think it's a, for me, it's a classic sort of. Um, it's, it, for me, it is the sort of idea that wins awards because it manifests itself in quite a different way. I mean, you know, if you, I mean, I have never sat on an awards jury, but I mean, not, a, you know, a lot of stuff comes in the same type of packaging. It comes as a TV ad or it comes as a press ad or it comes as a, uh, and this is a stamp and a passport that people have to sign. So, I mean, it's a, and it's a, it's a, it's a genuine idea. The, the other thing I'd say about it, which I guess it has in common with the work that, uh, that Nils did, um, which is, I think, juries at the moment like stuff with purpose, and it's a very purpose-driven idea. Um, so um, I think it fits, you know, it fits that mold. Um, the, the thing I'd say about the predictor for can, and it's interesting your observation on that. I mean, you know, I, I have, we probably have a bit of a love-hate relationship with awards, but. Um, but I quite like the idea of DNAD not being a predictor for CAN. You know, I think CAN is a kind of a very particular sort of thing. And uh, Nils will know this better than me, but, you know, you, 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 you learn the rules. Like anything, you learn, you learn the rules and you learn what kind of yeah. stuff juries like and don't. And that's not why awards aren't the only thing that matters. But, but I like the idea of DNAD plowing its own furrow. I mean, I remember when I was in, was it... Um, you know, Fallon, for example, I mean, DNAD really was the award that, that you know, people wanted to win. And I, mm-hmm. and I felt, as a non-creative, I felt over recent years it maybe lost a little bit of that sense of who it was. And so if, it, if it's rediscovering that and playing its own furrow, I think that's all to be applauded. But I, the first DNAD awards I ever went to, I sat between P. 
Peter Blake on my left and Jonathan Ive on my right. right. I mm. mean, my God. Mm. Now, that, that mm. seems unthinkable in the context of, of what the awards are today. And I love them too. And I think they absolutely need a bit more, well, a lot more love and nurturing. But there were a lot of people running creative departments in, in London who just weren't there last week. Yeah, but, okay, mm. so I've got a lot here. I agree with you, Chris. One uh, is DNAD, the warm-up for can, always can the afterglow of DNAD, right? Like, that is exactly the view they should have. They should totally be their own thing. I think the week is going to become more and more of a triumph. So never mind the show. Actually, I'm kind of like, I think they've been interesting and, and wise, worrying more about the week and what that becomes in London's cultural yeah. calendar. So the Guardian type Yeah, man. I'm, I think really that's exciting, great. And it? I'm like, you know, actually, you walk around Brick Lane for those three days and it's buzzing and there's everybody there. And whatever you want to say, that doesn't, you know, can is the only point of reference because it's a week-long thing somewhere. But Cannes doesn't work like that. You walk up and down the Quisette at Cannes and everyone gets pissed. Yeah. DNAD is a festival of creativity and mm. you're around creative people and stuff and it, you feel it. Yeah, lots um, of people go to Cannes and never go in the panel yeah, and never I see mean, the work. Yeah, and I think this doesn't feel that way. It feels like you're mixing in circles that, that are interesting. Um, you know, and, I, and I, so I think that's really, really good. I mean, I do think there needs to be, and I think that DNAD, I love it as you know, but I do think you're right, you know, that the thing that made me so happy to win at DNAD and, and still does is the Norman Fosters, the Ives of the world have won a pencil. Like, that's huge. You're like rubbing shoulders with people that are genuinely heroes in culture, not just in advertising. And uh, I think there needs to be a bit move uh, there, back there. But I think things like The Guardian will help that. I think that it will make its way back onto the map in, in many ways. So I feel kind of good about it. Do you think it still has much? What's its, what's its profile outside the UK? Yeah. Does that matter? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does matter. Obviously, it matters to them. I think the agenda there is, yeah, of course, yeah. to, to, to grow as a business, and that's where you do it. Yeah, it does matter. I mean, it feels like the look, we are like whether we like it or not, and whether it's true or not, we are cool abroad. UK creativity is still lusted after. We are different. Tour. My friend, who's now CMO at Apple, used to say, "We, you guys make that fucking romantic shit." <laughs> and you know, but, but I know what he means. He means we make very heartfelt, very purpose-driven, very arty, very whatever stuff. And. Uh, I think we are uh, still like that. And I think DNAD is the, is the sort of totem for that, I suppose, from our shores. So I kind of look at it and go, you know, I think it does have an allure. I, I think, again, how we reach people outside of the category is the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think DNAD, if I was singularly trying to rescue DNAD tomorrow, I would try to award absolutely anybody doing anything important outside of advertising because that is honestly what it needs to do. It needs to mean matter. In terms within, within that design? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I mean, Heatherwick, man. Concepts, I mean, like, I mean, yeah. if you could have given Heatherwick a black pencil for the Olympic torch, you should have and could yeah. have, and it would have said everything. Mm. Yeah. And there wouldn't have been a single person in the room not on their feet. You know, and I mm. think that's that's what we need to be doing. But mm. um, I think it's great. And, you know, in terms of the black pencil winners, I think Fearless Girl for me by a mile. I mean, it's a representation of everything we're, we say we're about at our best, I think. It made a statement in the world, in culture. And I think the only divide, perhaps, between that and the other bit of work you were talking about, Chris and Brittany, was, was that... I felt fearless girl whether or not I was in our industry. I read news reports about it. I see celebrities posing with yeah. it. It's become a selfie stick. It's insane. It's in the real world in it a is. meaningful way. It is, way. and it still matters mm. now, right? And, yeah. it, and so you can't not doff your cap at that. Yeah, I'm really struggling to find a nice link to this, and I can't find one, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> so Nils, you've just won ITV. <laughs> which, which I think was speaking of winning <laughs> but you were telling me uh, yeah. it was we were having a conversation earlier about how you're now winning business which isn't the classic pitch route to where you're sort of expected to sweat for no money for weeks on end to come up with treatments and go yeah. through all the hoops yeah. of um, yeah. chemistry meetings and all this sort of thing um 
just talk us through what what you're seeing in terms of how clients are coming to you and what they're looking for and maybe then talk to us a little bit how ITV yeah. if we're looking at this broader definition of of sort of creativity and culture coming together is that articulated in any way I, in the, the I, brief for ITV? I don't know well to the first question and I genuinely half of it I think is the world and half of it is just our approach from starting a company and I think there's some stuff I was doing at Grey and that's my only point of reference is where I was before where I think we were mechanized to just win and I think to, to a bad point Right to a point where every day we just thought about winning, yeah. not about what we were trying to genuinely do in the world. And what happened when you take a year out and you do all that stuff, and, and you know the purpose of Uncommon is that we were like, right, no, we're not going to be about that. We're going to be about a certain type of brand and a certain role in culture, and that's it. And that's what we care about because that's actually what we care about. And when we put that news out, a bunch of people weirdly called us and said, "Is that bullshit?" And we were like, "No." And we met them, and it's been very, very different. And so instead of getting in rooms and going, how do we win this? We've just genuinely gone in and gone, this is pretty much all you're going to get from us. This is our point of view on the world. It's fueled by this observation of it. Um, and if that aligns with you, if you're feeling that too, then most people have been really, really open to coming on board. And it hasn't felt like the sweating, how do we matter to these people kind of conversations I think that it used to. And I, and I guess the only point of reference for that is a lot of the people we're doing business with are in moments of step change. So the WWF obviously was a great win for us. Brand new CEO there, brand new direction and energy. I think ITV similarly. And I think that is the one thing they've shared, those those businesses, is a, is a shared view of a need to go somewhere new and a, and a shared view of the world as it is. So Carolyn McCall's just recently come in as CEO of ITV. With the brief that you were given, tell us a little bit about what, what you see as her am- ambition for, for ITV in in the culture of the country? I, I can't speak for Carolyn. I mean, I think that, that as a channel, I think it's really interesting. I think it's very overlooked. Okay, they are insanely successful. They make some of the most watched programs, you know, on the planet. They produce a load of other people's programs. They're a brilliant creative organisation that the world thinks is just a channel. Mm. And I think if you look at them and you look at the shapes of programming they've created in the past, you know, things like X Factor, that's innovation. If you were to look at a load of the stuff they've done, with a lens that you'd apply, for instance, to somebody like Channel 4 or someone else, or Netflix even, you'd go, oh my God, it's amazing, but you don't because of the brand. And I think that's partly because of the way that perhaps Adam had run it and, and, and the picture he'd painted or chosen not to paint of them. Was um, Adam Crozier? Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, and I think that whole new sense of new energy, and I think Carolyn's bringing that, and I think a, a look to the future and what they could be, based on all of that success, is, is where we're going to meet. And I think that's really exciting. Uh, just just to wrap up, we have had a phenomenally exciting, dramatic first quarter, first five, four or five months of this year. Um, from Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, WPP, Sainsbury's, Asda. I mean, my goodness, I can't think of a, a period of um, such tumult before in my career. Um, I just want some predictions about what the rest of the year might hold from you. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, we it feels like we are in a moment, a really important moment of absolutely fundamental change. Is there anything else that needs to that need that's gonna that's gonna go in this in this flattening? Well, I, the the thing I I think that we haven't seen the end of if that's even the right way of putting it. Or maybe we haven't, we aren't even at the beginning of um, the shake-up that I think is going to happen in the holding companies, um, particularly the big three or the big four. Um, 
I know that WPP are sort of saying, hang on a minute, that whole that, all that talk of breakup, you can ignore that now. Everything's fine. Nothing to see mm-hmm. here. I I just no. That's not to say that I think I'm not predicting necessarily breakup is what will happen. But I think whether that be consolidation, whether that be acquisition, whether that be breakup, I I struggle to see, particularly those big three or big four. I struggle to see that they are going to be the same shape that they are today in. 12 months time. Brittany, what, what, would, what would you predict? Go on. Have, have Could I speak about creativity? Yeah. Um, I think what was driven home for me last week at DNAD was, and Martin Sorrell kind of symbolizes this, leaders like him and companies like that, these mammoth companies, they don't appeal so much to younger, new talent. And I think if you're, if you're going to look for where the best creativity is coming from, it's not going to be from those big agencies and those type of people don't want to work for a giant company that is still making the same old grocery ads that they used to no okay i'm i'm guessing nils would agree with that right chris what i don't i i i don't agree with that and nils is going to say he agrees with it now <laughs> i wasn't actually i was going to be all provocative and different by saying i disagree damn but, but i think i think for example uh an adam and eve okay that means he's they are they're a big part of a big network business um when we were gray we we had a you know we had a absolutely deliberate and conscious approach to say actually we are going to set out to say to prove uh, that uh, bigger can be better in a creative in a creative environment and i think i think people i actually feel like people have been saying that for quite a long time it's always been like the little agencies are the cool ones and the creative ones and the big ones are sort of boring and rubbish and by the way in general terms that is true but i don't think it has to be true yeah okay nails what's going to happen the rest of this year I think we have to define what we think success looks like. I really think that by the end of the year, we're not even going to be measuring agencies. You know, our intention, we're starting brands. We're starting brands for other people. We're working on other people's brands to try and reflect culture, trying to advise them what to do in the state of the world. It's sensitive, politically, sustainably, ecologically, all of it. And I think you're absolutely right, Brittany, around talent. I think if you think about talent way before you talk about big or small agencies and you ask yourself, where do you think they wish they were and what do you think they wish they were doing? It's not making advertising. Mm. And I think that is what we're going to see. And I think that everyone around this table and the publications that report on our industry are going to change. And we're suddenly going to find all of this talk of big or small holding groups far more boring than we do now. Yeah. Because there's going to be far more exciting things to talk about. That's what I think. Brilliant. Okay, we make a date to come, come together again at the end of the year and see how dramatic the change has been, but I hope you're right, Nils. Thank you, Nils, Chris, Brittany, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Campaign Podcast. Join us again next week. Martin Sorrell, Death, Japanese Poetry. <laughs> <laughs>